This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, So you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But More than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful, and it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 267. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and we talk about you, we talk about me, we talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. I am not Nagin Farsad, she is on assignment. Uh, She's doing secret Nagin stuff, but I am your guest host, Ben Ari Poulton, and to help me make sense of everything going on this week, I am joined by two absolutely phenomenal human beings. First up, he's a podcast host and producer. You can hear him on his podcast, This Day in Esoteric Political History. Please welcome to the show, Jody Avergan. Hello there. Outstanding. Yeah, <laughs> great that's all I have to say. <laughs> that's, that's, it. It. that's all is, you need. Is, is saying that someone is on assignment the most cryptic thing you can possibly say about what they're up to? A thousand percent. It just means that they're like, they're not here and it's none, yeah. it's none your business. That's, that's what it means. <laughs> uh, and... Also, friend of the podcast, friend of mine, she's a co-host of the podcast, Were You Raised by Wolves? She's an author of the novel, A Holiday Breakdown. It's available on Kindle, so check it out. You've seen her on Late Night with Stephen Colbert. Please welcome back to the show, Leah Bonama. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to have you here. This is a a great crew and uh, very excited to talk about our topics. We'll just get right into it. Topic number one. (laughs) Afghanistan. 
Uh, this is an ever-evolving story, but it's been dominating the headlines uh, this the this past week. In a way, it has not for 20 years, so at least we have that going for us. Uh, who knew that America's longest war that was uh, probably bungled into early on in the W administration would end so badly? No one could have known that. Uh, as longtime Fake the Nation listeners probably know, uh, I spent a little bit of time in Afghanistan, uh, so I will also give you my, um, my disclaimer as a, uh, as a still as a, as a master sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve and as a, a veteran of Operation Enduring Freedom and Afghanistan and Iraq vet, uh, my opinions are my own and in no way reflect those of the U.S. Army, our coalition partners, the U.S. government, or anyone real or imagined. Uh, that being said, um, this has been a very uh, complicated, complex, and I think difficult time for uh, the veteran community specifically, but I think also America grappling with the reality of uh, our foreign policy and the way in which we conduct wars. We've never had a war that's lasted this long. Um, this is also uh, a war that has spanned four presidents. Uh, this is a war that uh, seemingly could have been ended at several earlier points, but wasn't and kept being extended. Um, so we'll, uh, before I get more into my thoughts, uh, I'm going to throw it out to the panel. Jody, we'll start with you. We've heard a lot from the politicians, mm -hmm. but this is to be expected. You know, uh, there's always, yes, it's, it's terrible, but this chaos is to be expected. Was this chaos to be expected? Um, well, first off, let me say I have, you know, Lots of questions for you more than you may have, you know, and, and I, I don't feel like I have the answers. I don't think anyone really has answers here, um, you know, but I'm curious to hear your your, your perspective in particular. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the things we've noticed of this last week as this stunning collapse um, has come is that the people who really know Afghanistan have said, yes, this was to be expected. This is something that we saw the seeds of, you know, and I think it's just interesting to hear when someone says, you know, when 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 someone's moment was to realize that this this where we where we are now was inevitable and we've been heading there. And some people it was 20 years ago and some people it was 10 years ago and some people it was five years ago and some people it was a year ago. But I think anyone who was watching closely, um, this is not a surprise. And I think it's interesting to see the Biden administration, in a sense, try and in a sense, position it as a surprise is that we never could have seen that, you know, the collapse mm -hmm. would have happened this fast when I think everyone who was being honest about the situation saw the seeds of this planted long ago. Leah. I'm so glad you asked me and that this was our first topic because I was like, I think we can bang this out in 30 to 90 seconds. We can solve this whole <laughs> super easy, super, super easy. easy, no problem. And mirroring what Jody said, I was very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts um, on this. You know, my initial response obviously was I can't imagine all the mixed feelings of all of our uh, men and women in the armed forces and how it must feel. Um, and so there was sort of like a, just a sadness for that. And then also for the people of Afghanistan, especially our allies. And then it does seem, obviously I know most of my Afghan knowledge comes from the movie Charlie Wilson's War, uh, with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. Um, of course. Which I feel like is a Mine came from document. Spies Like Us in Rambo 3. So. <laughs> oh my I'm God, glad we're sending you out into the field. <laughs> um, is that it did seem that people are basically like either we were going to stay there forever or mm -hmm. this was inevitable. And it does seem like 
because of the world we live in now with social media and everybody's so quick to point fingers and blame instead of being like, how do we handle something that is just in itself uh, tragic? Is a, you know what I mean? As opposed to just being like, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's like, can we just do the best yeah. we can handling this? That's what my wish would be. This has been interesting because I think there was a pretty wide, broad consensus that America's own infinity war had to come to an end. So ending the war and bringing the troops home was very popular. This was actually a decision made by the previous administration mm -hmm. with a deal that was hammered out uh, back in 2019 and then started coming to fruition in 2020 um, and was put into place with an actual pullout deadline of May, the end of May, um, which the Biden administration came in. That was like three months into his administration. They did some negotiations to kind of push it to the end of August. They, I, I think the August 31st was sort of an arbitrary date pulled out because they didn't, they wanted it to be over by the 20th anniversary of September 11th. That being said, um, the logistics of doing something like this are, are messy because as soon as it starts, chaos erupts. You know, as soon as you start sending people home, chaos erupts. And as we, we've sort of seen, there were wires and emails earlier going back saying, hey, you, you might want to think about going. And a lot of people who were on the ground didn't want to give up the mission. There were a lot of people working in the State Department. There were a lot of people at the embassy who, who just refused to to just up and leave, uh, they, they, whether they're working with uh, Afghan nationals on the ground, trying to get working the visa issues that was backlogged because of a lot of things that happened in the previous administration and over the past 20 years, all of the logistical problems, um, they didn't want to leave until they were forced to leave. And now it's a question of getting everyone out. One thing that's been interesting is the initial chaos, which was terrifying and, and frightening and, and did take everyone by surprise. Um, the the ability for us to move tens of thousands of people out as quickly as we have just yeah. in the past couple of days has been extraordinary. And so I think there can be some criticism leveled at how we allowed that to sort of blow up both figuratively and literally and allow such uh, good optics for the Taliban. But it's also sort of lit a fire under everyone's asses and was like, hey, we we got to do this and no time to think about it now. Just get people on planes. Do it. We're working with with allied countries, working with coalition partners. You know, I don't think if I think if we had not seen that chaos erupt, it would have been much more difficult to convince a lot of these other countries to be accepting refugees at the rate they're mm. accepting them. Mm. And also but us, we're sending refugees to Fort Bliss, uh, Fort Lee, uh, Fort McCoy right now. We're bringing them into the into the U.S. And I think had we not seen that, there would have been a lot more pushback and a lot more talk about, well, we got to get the refugees out, but where are we going to put them? Uh, Jody? Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I think I, I take that point, And I think it is part of kind of interesting how quickly a relatively effective given, you know, asterisk, 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 uh, <laughs> relatively effective strategy has gone into place for extracting people just in the last few days, if you, as you said. But, you know, I think there's potentially a flip side to that, which is that no matter at what point you, fl you flip the switch and said, you know, the, mm -hmm. the pullout is starting, there was going to be chaos. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I think this argument of about of that you hear of, well, it's not exactly that we got out, but it's how we got out and the timing of it and the, and, the, and the details of it and the execution of it. Sure, there can be criticism there. But I mean, if we're talking about a 20-year process that right. was undermined in the course of 
a month. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, the specific Jenga piece that you happen to pull out at what particular moment is really what the conversation should be about. This thing was going to collapse regardless, whether it was two months ago, a month from now, mm -hmm. some of the specifics that we're discussing. So yes, I think there's a conversation, but I think, you know, we have to take a step back and think about that 20 year process and why it, why it failed. And, you know, I have some thoughts on that. I'm sure you do too, but can I just ask you one quick question and then, sure. and then but you know, I'm just curious, you know, I, I sort of mentioned at the beginning that you, I've been hearing people who know this space much better than I do say that they've had that they had their moment at some point over the last 20 years where they said oh what's happening in the summer of 2021 is is inevitable where this is headed i'm curious if you've ever if you had one of those moments yes I, i've had a couple of those moments i was i was in the service on 9 11 um i uh during uh i was on a deployment during <laughs> the invasion of iraq and i remember when the invasion of Afghanistan started, I thought, oh, this is surprising that this this particular administration, the W administration, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, that they had gotten the coalition partners, had gone in, had routed Al Qaeda out of Afghanistan, gotten the Taliban and uh, seemed to be doing what they said they were going to be doing. And then they reverted to character um, and went into their excursion into Iraq. And I remember March 20th uh, being a date where I said, well, this is where we messed up Afghanistan. And the fact that, uh, you know, that Osama bin Laden had been on the run for that long, that we sort of took our eye off that prize, a lot of people had said, okay, well, now we're fighting wars on two fronts and we're not really sure why are we still here, et cetera. But when I deployed to, I, I deployed to Iraq in 2009 and then I deployed to Afghanistan in 2011, months after we killed Osama bin Laden. And the feeling on the ground then was I was part of a logistics unit where we were doing our, um, our, our drawdown. At that point, we were then figuring out how we are logistically going to, what are we going to do with the things we leave behind? What equipment are we going to bring back? What are we, humanitarian issues in dealing with coalition partners who now we're leaving. Canada left, the Romanians, you know, were leaving. Um, the Australians were, were lowering their presence. The, the Brits were lowering their presence. So we didn't do that. We actually increased our presence as opposed to drawing down during that time. And I think that if there was a time to leave cleanly, that was the moment when once you killed Osama bin Laden. That's a thing everyone can say. Hey, we yeah. did it. And then if Afghanistan broke down months later, uh, no one would have even been watching really. And they would say, "Ah, oh, well, that's what's going to happen to that country." Right. So I think that we we snatched we we snatched chaos out of victory every moment that we had opportunities mm -hmm. to cleanly you know, leave because look, this isn't World War II. There was never going to be a victory, you know, a VE day. There was never going to be, um, you know, the victory over Japan. There's never going to be that sort of celebration in Times Square with, with this. Um, we started out this war trying to fight it on the cheap. Um, we kept extending, um, you know, they were playing, they were playing games and then it became um, a money train for a lot of people. And oh, I yeah. think, mm -hmm. and I think that a lot of what's happening is, you know, you, you'll talk to people on the ground. They're like, you know, we're only here to keep the mission going. We're here. We're going on. We're going on on uh, missions to uh, find insurgents who are attacking us because we're here. And so the cycle just keeps the going. The forever war is the is the mission. Is the mission, and I think that um, you know what's what's very difficult for people to process is you can know that. Having been there, I, I kind of knew that there and came home, but was proud of the work I'd done working with uh, the locals there, training the people. It's very difficult to see in reality it fall apart when you put your blood, sweat and tears, time, sacrifice into that. It's still difficult to process. And I think the toll on the veteran community is going to be mm. um, very long term. 
and I think it's going to be psychologically damaging in the rift between the military and the civilian. And I'll throw this to you, Leah. There's a cynical part of me that really thinks this was also part of the calculation because the time in August, this is sort of a dead news time. Um, Football is going to start up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we're, we're they're about to pass a, a three point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill. We're going to get back into the politics of politics very shortly. Um, if there was a time to weather sort of a crisis from a war that most of the country has not paid attention to for twenty years, what are the chances that in two months they're still going to be thinking about this? Was this a cynical calculation of like we can? It's going to be chaos, but it's going to be a couple of weeks, and then we're going to be on to the next thing. It's not going to impact the timing of it now. Is sort of the best timing politically. It's not going to impact next year's midterms. It's not going to impact election cycles. It's not going to impact a lot of other things. So was this a political decision? Mm, you know me, I, <laughs> even, even though I am constantly thinking everybody's garbage, I'm never a cynic, <laughs> uh, which is like an interesting middle ground to walk. So also because as you mentioned, the prior administration sort of set these wheels in motion for this time frame. You know, Benari, I would like to say no. I, I feel like the Biden administration, and I see so many people criticizing the Biden administration, and I just, we could just break those criticisms up over the 20 years of all of us collectively not being informed, not doing this, like letting things go for, like, obviously, as we said, dark money, Halliburton, like all these reasons, and discuss it as, like, as a group of what we could have done better instead of just, like, laying blame and putting our focus on the veteran community and the Afghani people who were our allies. So I would like to believe that, no, this wasn't a news cycle, why we why we left at this point, but just because the Biden administration felt like we have to go, it, there's a timeline, we got to start doing it, and there's 900 crises happening, and I'm just following this timeline. That's what I mm -hmm. what really hope. Um, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm from northern Maine, and I have bought pie off people's lawns where it's mm -hmm. like drop $25 in the slot and get it on the honor system. So I might not be... Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, I do. I mean, so, we've also been lied to this entire time. So like, why would we not be lied to now? Do you know what I mean? And there's that. And there's that. That's what I was going to point out. But also it's like, is that what I want to focus on in this? I, you know, and I think it's not what I personally want to focus on. It's like, what, yeah. who can I listen to, to better understand what people are dealing with? Um, where can I do anything, you know what I mean? How can I greater understand the situation? I feel like that is where I would, where I put my energy mm -hmm. to be a better um, listener, learner, advocate for people, as opposed to being like, oh, this is all just a part of it. Cause I don't really get anything out of thinking that way. Mm -hmm. I can't in any way move forward being a cynic in a helpful way, which is what I really want to do. <laughs> I mean, to that, to that point, I mean, I do, think and hope. No, I hope. I don't actually think it would happen. But I do hope that, you know, that, that this is a chance to ask some really fundamental questions about our goals and, mm -hmm. you know, what the goal in Afghanistan really was, what the goal of the of, of modern wars really are. And, you know, I... I spent much of this last year working on a series called The Line, which was about this guy, Eddie Gallagher, who was accused of war crimes in, in, in Iraq, and he's a Navy SEAL. And putting putting aside Eddie Gallagher, this series that I worked on, you know, we, we interviewed hundreds of 
special special forces and navy seals and really i think got a picture and it emerged to me as the real story you know of how modern wars are fought and how we go into these countries especially iraq and afghanistan and we put special ops in a position to do traditional warfare and we set them up in impossible situations for at the micro level and at the macro level mm-hmm. and you know and then we match that up against goals like we want to help a country build a democratic society and develop right um but we're sending in special special forces to 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 be the the tip of the spear to help accomplish that you know and nowhere in there are there conversations about what it takes to actually have a civil society like free elections or anti-corruption initiatives or development work which sounds like a lot of what you were doing you know and so i think if we can convene the conversation if if only on you know smart podcasts like this about what our actual goals are and, and how we're actually waging these wars and whether those match up, maybe this is a chance to ask some of those questions. Well, and it's, I think, a topic like this, it's such a visceral topic, right? And it's a topic where you have a lot of people, and I think this is a, a longer-term problem in this particular country in how we fight wars, because one of the strongest mechanisms and one of the strongest checks and balance on, on, a, on a war lasting this long used to be the draft. That was the thing that would trigger the American population's relationship to the war into finally saying, hey, this isn't worth it to us. For good intentions, that was removed after Vietnam. But now we rely on less than 1% of the American population to fight and win America's wars. And I think what the last, I think, unfortunately, one of the lessons that's been learned from the last 20 years is, yeah, we can do this as long as we want. And we can send these, we can send our volunteer military now to hotspots all over the world and we can move them around and they can bear the burden. And 99% of the country won't even know what's happening. Won't feel it. It's hidden. They won't feel it. That's exactly right. And I mean, to me, you know, I think if you're going to get angry about something around that, it's the civilian leadership that knows that and cynically Mm -hmm. exploits that, you know, and I think that's where a lot of the blame has to fall here. Sure, there were tactical military uh, you know, mistakes, but it is it is the civilian leadership playing a game over the last 20 years with yeah. their military and putting people like you, you know, in, in possible situations. And I think that we, you know, we heard this refrain two decades ago, but, you know, we went to war, but the country went to the mall. Right. And that was, that started at the leadership level with George W. Bush, that was Dick Cheney, that was Donald Rumsfeld. And I think as we close out this particular segment, it's very important to remember that when we talk about long-term ramifications of of decision makers in those positions, these are the long-term ramifications. It doesn't happen overnight. Just because it's 20 years after they left, you know, that they started this doesn't mean that they're, that this isn't uh, what they grew. This isn't the garden that they grew. This is the garden that they grew. They planted these seeds. They set this into motion and they set this up for this sort of chaos because they didn't do the things up front that we should have done their word we didn't ask the rest of the country to bear any burden pay any price there was no taxes on corporations there's no war taxes we didn't build victory gardens we didn't have a unified front so that we felt like there was a common purpose here and that allowed for this to sort of fester and grow i think over over the decades and you would think that at the bare minimum we would as a country have set up 
a good uh, caretaker system for our yeah. our vets when they come home with like amazing <laughs> health care, job retraining. And also like I have so many friends whose families have become caretakers of returning. And then to be a caretaker is its own stress. And there should be like mental health, um, you know, of, of people that can uh, they can reach out to. It's obviously should be covered by taxpayers. You know what I mean? That's not even set up, which should be bare minimum um, how we take care of our troops when they come home. And you would hope that we would like speak to that larger problem of, as you were saying, we, we don't notice it's a small, I mean, we do notice, but it's not paid attention to at the point of what it should be. And then the larger question completely separate of what's America's responsibility, um, which I think is like a whole other topic, but that we've never had that conversation openly because it always ends up being about other things. Right. Whether whether or not you kneel for the national anthem, <laughs> and, and we are we argue over a football game instead of the actual war. Yeah, so it's uh, like I, you know sometimes I just wish you could, we could have a conversation about what are our responsibilities in other countries because it always ends up being about money and our vested mm-hmm. interests as opposed to do we morally want to spend money going into places when we also have money that needs to be spent here to take care of our people where people are being. Um, victimized or, you know, and I think that's also a very important conversation to have. Yeah. And I mean, you know, to take it back to pure politics, I mean, you know, if Joe Biden last fall said, I'm going to take us out of foreign war so that we can build up our infrastructure here at home, maybe that's what's happening. Right. right. <laughs> and and and, and there we go. The, and that's likely the case that they will be making, you know. Absolutely. So I think uh, it's we are where we are and I'm glad we solved that. Yeah, uh, fantastic. We're going to take a quick break and then when we come back, topic number two. This HeadGum podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, wow. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. 
basically every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, um, like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that. But we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness. <laughs> For like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it just it makes common sense pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make 50 percent of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um will be taken off that's Pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one of a kind formulas. Uh, again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. And we're back. It's time for topic number two. California Recall. All right. Um, Leah, you, uh, you like myself, are a new recent sort of transplant to the, uh, to the West Coast, to uh, California. And, um, you know, the real question here is, uh, what's the deal with the California Recall of Governor Newsom? Uh, this, this is kind of a, an interesting story because it's only the second time a recall effort has been successful. Uh, partly that was helped by an extension that was given to the uh, folks who had to get the signatures. Um, they were given like a longer extension to, to get those signatures, but it only requires uh, 12% of the uh, California electorate who had voted in the previous election in five different counties to, to sign uh, paperwork to trigger a recall. And unlike other recalls, if Gavin Newsom doesn't get at least 50% 
of the vote, which is a no vote on the recall, if he doesn't survive, if he if he gets less than he could get 49 percent, if he gets less than 50 percent on this one recall, whoever's next in line becomes the governor on that ballot. With like and that 11%. person could get like 10 percent. There's like there's there's <laughs> there's a million and a half people on the ballot. And uh, so someone you, with you, you guys on there, I got in. I threw my name on last time. Just, just figured. Why not? Why, why not? Exactly. Be, yeah, yeah, it's Wiki, Wikipedia line. It'll be nice. You know, it'll be there. Yeah. I love how the so, top so, running person is always the person who thinks that women are like farm animals. It's always <laughs> like it's going to be uh, a TV commentator who thinks that women shouldn't have productive rights. And if we could just put them in a garage somewhere and milk them, that would be like best for society. It's like always, why is it that person? Do you know what I mean? Who's next in line? Get your well, ballots you know, look, and put them in the mailbox. It's I've the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> okay, oh, we're yeah. just throwing ideas throwing out ideas there and seeing which wall. ones are popular. Can you get a breast exam at Walgreens? These are the <laughs> questions we want from such a person. But I, I mean, I moved here in the spring and I registered right away and I just put my ballot in the mailbox. And I, you know, it's never straight. You just vote on the first question. I think nobody's like, you know getting a lady chub for Newsom, but you just don't want anybody else. Just, you know what I mean? I think that's really what it is. Nobody's excited, but it's just like, just show up and vote. We just got to show up and vote. Right. Um, first off, let me, let me say that I can't help but think of our previous conversation about Afghanistan. And if, if, if in there, you know, the conversation was, well, we failed to bring American style democracy to this burgeoning country. You know, it's like, well, maybe, do you want that style of democracy? If we turn to California and we see exactly what's maybe our democracy isn't so hot. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, <laughs> how I do think, we give them Larry Elders? Yeah, Can we just exactly. give Afghanistan Larry Elders? Um, but you know, I, I'm curious. You know, this, the, I think Democrats and Newsom's camp is really embracing and playing what is a look. All of this is messed up, but you know, what is mm -hmm. a what is a tricky strategic play here, which is to encourage people to just vote no on the recall and then that be it. Um, whereas, you know, the way that it works is if you vote no on the recall, it, you can still go and vote for who you would vote for if enough people vote yes on the recall. It's, you know, it's, I, I just confused myself saying this and it's not that hard, but basically it's like, if enough people get yes, then it goes to whoever. But, um, you know, the ploy is that they want to basically set it up as Newsom versus Republicans, not another name, not another person whose ideas you have to weigh against, but it's just Newsom versus GOP Trumpy takeover. And I'm right. curious how you feel like that strategy is playing, uh, you know, and it's different from previous strategies that have that have been mm -hmm. that have been used in, in, in recall elections. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. We actually got an email from a fan of the show, Kelsey Poole, a longtime listener of the of the Fake the Nation podcast, and she actually asked about this. She said a lot of official Democratic Party people are advising voters to vote no, but then to leave the candidate mm -hmm. choice blank. But she goes on to say, others say that if liberals don't vote for a candidate, then this would open the door to a conservative candidate winning if the recall does pass. She says, I've gotten into some arguments with friends over this and was wondering if you have an opinion. They'd be more effective. The polls are pretty even. I'm worried that this will get some anti-science crackpot who will undo all our COVID restrictions. Uh, uh, and they say, uh, thank you, uh, you know, for the wonderful show. So since it's a wonderful show, um, since you, you mentioned the strategy, I think that Governor Newsom's strategy has been to be simple because yeah. as soon as you start explaining the rest of it, the, the most important thing is vote no. 
everything else is, is basically material. So I think there's a strategy of just keeping it simple, which is something the Democrats aren't very good at. Mm -hmm. They like to over explain things and tell you all the reasons why. And Newsom's campaign is just saying, vote no, that's it. As you said, uh, this is this is Newsom versus the GOP. Um, but it's also um, it, it's also a an all or nothing strategy. Correct. Yes. There is no safety net here. So so that being the case, they are counting on turning out their base. And what I'm less so I think the messaging is good about just vote no. But what I'm concerned about is low voter turnout, which historically, especially in California, especially in California on off elections and special elections and weird elections uh, is usually very low. Um, and so I think that there needs to be an element, and maybe this is part of the strategy, too, of getting people amped up and scared so that they actually vote in this particular mm -hmm. special election. Um, but um, I, I, I think that uh, to get through the confusion, they've kept it simple and just said, all you need to know is vote no. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that, I think, is where this might be an interesting test or sign of how much of the Trump era democratic fervor is still left because if it were to do the more complicated thing of well we have Newsom but you know there's another Democrat who we recommend if you're going to vote against Newsom but instead to say the clarity of no what we're what the decision in front of you is basically Newsom a Democrat versus all your fears from the last four years of you know of a geo the G, the Trump led GOP. Um, it'll be very curious to see if that sort of drives enthusiasm and you get that sort of. I mean, you know, so much of the vote in 2016 and and over the or in 2020 and over the last four years was a sort of whipped up anti Trump vote. And if that's still out there, maybe the sort of fervor as as you as you characterized it w will be enough to sustain. And maybe that's part of the strategy. Leah, were you were you confused at all um, by by what's happening, uh, or did you see it uh, as just a, a very you know straightforward? Uh, we gotta we gotta keep Newsom because the GOP's clearly trying to uh, play with the election here. I saw it as a straightforward. We just gotta keep Newsom. It's what is it? Just a year and change, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. It just seemed like the most straightforward. And I I always think the the game is getting people to to vote. You know, and I'm, mm. I, I, in an ideal world, we would be like, well, who's my backup plan? Whose ideologies are good? Who would be a good thing for California? But I think that right now it's just like, especially there's so much happening in the world to get people's, it, in politics, to get people's attention, to be like, you got to register, you got to make sure you, you got to put it in the ballot box. I think that's what they've done. They've like, it's as, as Jody said, it's, it's Newsom versus all of these horrible things. Make sure you show up. And so. And to your point, I mean. Yes, at the end of 2022, there is going to be a proper election where if Democrats want to have their overthinking it Democratic conversation about Newsom versus some other person and the perfect being enemy, you know, good, and yada, 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 they can have that in a year and a half. And I think right. the flip side of that is it's incredibly cynical, but I think it's clear that Republicans feel like the only way they can win an, a statewide election in California is by doing this, that they are not going to win in a in a 1v1 election you know, next year. And so this is the only way they're going to sneak someone in. So funny. Huh? I don't find that part cynical. I mean, the other word, I'm like, I'm not cynical, but I'm like, that's just facts. Um... That's facts. That's just facts. Yeah. But facts can make you cynical. <laughs> well, are we, um, are we under reporting the, uh, what seems to be on the local level, the, the, the very determined GOP strategy of win by any means necessary. And, 
you know, I think a lot of times we can dismiss these things as well. It's so obvious what they're trying to do, but it doesn't matter if they're still doing it. It seems like these efforts and in California, it's a recall. They got a recall election. They successfully got a recall election. Um, in in you know twenty other states, the Republican legislatures have effectively legally changed the laws to make it more difficult for people to vote in in areas. Um, we see this battle for voting rights happening on the national level, where we need to get uh, where Democrats are trying to push through uh, voting rights legislation um, to to sort of protect themselves or to protect uh, the electorate from uh, shenanigans like this, but you know, elections seem to to really be decided at the local level. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the Republicans are just better at it. They are better and at are it. We, are we sort of dismissing that organization out of hand, uh, that they are willing to put the time in to this and to and to get it done where where some of these battles are won? Because, yeah, it's just a year, but you can do a lot of damage in a year. Oh, yeah. Laws can be changed if something happens to um, Senator Feinstein, who's the oldest member of the Senate. Then you would have a Republican who appoints the replacement senator. There's a lot of things that can be thrown out of whack just by this one, uh, you know, this this one year period of time. Not to mention, you know, sure, um, you know, they're going to have to whoever becomes governor or, or if Newsom survives the recall, he'll still have to deal with a Democratic legislature. But there's all sorts of things that get thrown out of whack. And now there's fights you have to fight. So are we discounting the Republicans ability to to really organize at the local level and be successful? I think that we we as um, a large, if, if I can speak for the as the Democratic community, I'm, <laughs> We've all noticed that the Republicans are, if we're just grouping everybody, are by any means necessary. And I feel like more often than not, the Democrats were dialoguing what's fair, what's mm-hmm. just. And that's while they're moving forward. You know what I mean? They get behind mm-hmm. a point. They just push it forward while we're. So until we address this way that we handle things so differently, um, do you know what I mean? I think we mm-hmm. agreed. Yeah, they're doing by anything necessary, but then we're talking about it. You know what right. I mean? As opposed this to being like moral conscience. Yeah, our Democrats moral conscience oh. is just really, right. I don't know, getting in our way. We're like, what's legal? We're we're weighing in people's opinions, you know what I mean? And that's the difference. And so it's like right now, because of that, I think we all agree that that is. The dichotomy, we just got to show up and vote. And for the next election, we can like weigh in on all these things. But because the Republican Party does seem better at just at a local level, they also have like target issues where they will vote for a person who's complete garbage because they weigh in on one side of one issue, which Mm -hmm. so they mobilize. You know what I mean? So it's like Mm -hmm. I think we all have sort of agreed they mobilize. So we should just also mobilize vote no on this. And then for the next round, we can have conversations. I, I, I think it is important to recognize that Republicans and Democrats are playing, you know, different games and have different strategies. Um, And it is important at every stage to sort of fight to win. But I think it is equally as important. I think it's more important to also just point out that it is a rigged game. And, you know, especially this California recall. I mean, this is a such a screwed up system. And I think Mm -hmm. like it feels 
futile to say that and it feels like naive to point that out but i think you just have to keep hammering away at that at how messed up this system is how mm -hmm. screwed up our national elections are run how screwed up our local elections right. are run and until there is a honest conversation around structural change um you know which i actually think is happening and it's one of the mm -hmm. few sort of hopeful things in this moment is i think people are actually starting to ask those fundamental questions um that's where the change is going to happen because as long as it's a rigged game one side, and it's often Republicans, are going to be happy to play it. And so well, what we have to do is change the nature of the game. Well, I think that actually brings up such an excellent point because I think one of the things that's panicking the GOP currently is, uh, especially under the Biden administration and under uh, Nancy Pelosi's like laser focus on voting rights right now, right. Um, is that there's an understanding that structurally it needs to be changed, and they're they're finally they're not doing the hearts and minds argument that Democrats normally make. They're saying no, no, no. This is this is things that need to be enshrined in law, because that's the structure of things. And I think for a long time Republicans have have been very good at ignoring the hearts and minds part and just being like, yeah, we all know the game is rigged. Oh, but I'm still voting for my one candidate in this rigged election. Um, and Democrats can fight over whether we should take part in the system or not, or do we wait for a better system and things like that. And so I think your point about, you know, knowing how it's <laughs> knowing how the game is played and how it's rigged, you gotta, you gotta win that part first. Yeah. And then, and then you can fix it and then you can change it. So I think this conversation about the structural changes that need to, to happen, there needs to be an understanding of what needs to happen before we can make those structural changes and not just complain about it. And I do feel like the last election, um, you know, I think we've all been sort of thinking about voting rights for a long time, but it really, really brought it to the forefront of people who maybe somehow weren't aware that we have voting rights problems in this mm -hmm. country. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where we should be focusing. Right. And I, and I think that that also is so essential when you start saying like, well, the people voted for this, what's wrong with them? And then you start looking at the, the data and in some places it's like, oh, that election was decided by 30% yeah, of, like of the registered voters who came out on this off cycle election and this in percentage In Wisconsin were, in one county. Yeah. And the, the whole thing gets decided by these three people. And you're like, this is right. not fair. No, and so of course it's insane, and that that's you know that then the cycle begins anew. So I think and, the and understanding worth pointing out: Alabama has a Democratic senator for much the same reasons, right? A very un, absolutely a special election in a wonky scenario, but yes, most often than not, it you know it absolutely the because they took the same strategy of that's how Scott Brown in Massachusetts became yep. a senator for for a couple of years. Um, you know that you take advantage of the off cycle, so yeah. that's that's also politics. All right, fantastic again. Solve that issue. Fantastic. Done. Um, What's the next one? But, uh, oh, and, and just to hunger? close it out, I think the strategy, though, I think uh, there's a consensus that just vote no, straight no on on uh, that ballot. If you live in California, just vote no for the recall. Uh, vote and, no, and, and then we'll uh, figure it out after. And then we'll figure it out. All right. Topic number three. Uh, big news in the social media uh, world. Uh, OnlyFans... Uh, came out a, a little while ago saying that it was going to ban sexually explicit content. Um, and they were the latest digital platform to crack down on, on uh, what would be considered 
pornographic material, adult material, sexual content. Um, but it was a, a, a source of income for millions of, of people during the uh, coronavirus pandemic, especially for sex workers who couldn't do face-to-face uh, -face in person. And so that became a good site for sex workers to keep um, making money. Today, uh, it's come out that there has been a stunning reversal and uh, they uh, they now say that uh, they have suspended, and I'm putting that in quotes, <laughs> suspended plans to ban por pornography. Um, the CEO came out, so it's a London-based company, and um, they, they had given one of the reasons for cracking down on explicit content being that they were having trouble with their backers. The CEO called out um, some of the banks, Metro Bank, JP Morgan, um, saying that you know it's it's them, it's not us. Um, but now say that um, they've settled things with their backers and uh, people can continue using their site. Um, that of course also came uh, from after huge backlash from the users who started making plans to use other platforms. So, uh, Leah, what what uh, what do you think led to this reversal? Was this a groundswell of support um, for uh, for sex workers' rights, uh, or is this uh, just purely financial on, on OnlyFans saying, "Oh, there goes there goes our cash cow"? Uh, well, I think it's money, and um, <laughs> I love the wording they use. It was like uh, I think it was uh, they secured assurances for money for their creative community, um, which is basically everybody being coming forward, being like, what do you think we're on there for? We yeah, are right. your entire base. Are you out of your minds? Which I enjoyed watching all those videos that people did. I thought some of the memes were amazing. And then I'm always happy for people to throw banks under the bus, whether or not they just flipped with their narrative and wanted to blame other people. So they looked good. I don't care. Throw those banks under the bus. They could always take a bus throwing. Um, you know what I mean? Why not? <laughs> all the buses. Why not? Um, yeah. Anyway, any story in which you can just get mad at a bank is, a, you know, it's hell's nice to yeah. bored with that. Yeah. And, but I, when we, I woke up to the, and I saw that in the news this morning, I was like, I really laughed out loud because I think when we all saw the initial announcement, we were like, who do you think is paying for your yeah. platform? Where do you right. think your money's coming from? Right. That's which insane. was, of course, the, 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 the sort of ridiculous catch 22 at the heart of all this, which was we're not going to be able to raise the money to get the valuation that we think because banks are skittish about what we do. But obviously that valuation is only based on the fact that you do what you do. And yeah. so taking it away was going to make the whole thing fall apart. And I think we've seen it time and time again, companies try and be something else or pivot or, you know, whatever word you want to use. And, and, and it's like, no, you're generally good at one thing and you should do that one thing until you can't do that one thing anymore. You should fight to do that one thing. And the idea that you can just do something else and have it be just as valuable um, or effective is, you know, is absurd. There's something interesting here though, too, because, so I think the last year they reported there was like 130 million users, 2 million content creators, and they reported like over $150 million in free cash flow. Right. I think it's 300 And then they decided they wanted to, yeah, and so then they wanted to go legit, and and they were going to do that, you know, by by basically banning all the people that allowed them to raise all that money, and I think when it was presented, you know, very starkly the way the way you both presented it, saying like, where do you think the money's coming from? Um, this doesn't exist without that. Is this a turning point? in the way in which, especially sex workers, because a lot of the conversation has revolved around um, sex, what constitutes sex work, what, um, what 
the legitimacy of that as a profession is, um, all of that. Um, and our relationship to pornography. You know, it's funny, it's a London-based company and probably the only people more uptight about sex than Americans is, are, the, are, are the British. Um, you know, so is this, was, is this a turning point in our collective social misgivings about the seediness of pornography? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really the heart of this story is, you know, why... why the fundamental question is why were banks so skittish about mm -hmm. um, supporting a pornographic site? A site, you know, can, can we are we not at the point where we can have a nuanced enough conversation to recognize the, that creators, sex workers, creators making you know taking agency and making money for themselves is different from some of the other trickier and seedier conversations about pornography, and that a bank, you know, even if you're, they're thinking in the most cynical way possible. We just want to make money. How can a bank not distinguish and find that nuance? Um, I think that's really the heart of the story. I do think it's so interesting. And this is, I mean, this is always, this is always, but banks will be like, hey, I'll invest in these things that are like openly killing people. Yeah. Um, but you know what? If this woman at home wants to like make a solid living and pay her bills and take care of her family and there's a tit in there, uh, I'm going to flag it because, you know, and that's always been the even with ratings. And, you know, uh, as Jody said, that's it's, it's it is a great like these are if you want to have conversations about pornography on like a larger on like. But this is like actually creators at home. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. the die things you want to talk about don't even this is people at home making their own money, creating their own content. Can I can I point out two great wrinkles to this story? Yes. So one is in that interim when OnlyFans had had removed full pornography, there was only one social media platform left on which full nudity and pornography actually was allowed. Do you know which one it was? No. Twitter. I would not have guessed that that was the last bastion of full pornography. Tumblr got rid of it. Instagram got rid of it. Ted, Ted Cruz could have Ted Cruz could have told you that. Yeah, well, uh, that's true. Um, we then, my, other, my other favorite little thing is that in this interim, OnlyFans released a safe for work app called OFTV where you could upload nudity-free content. And I just want... Give it three weeks. I want some enterprising reporter. Just go check in on see how OFTV is doing. Just see if there's people still on there doing cooking classes or, you know, shopping tips or whatever. But I just think it's going to be out there. I'm very curious to see what their numbers are like. This is like sort of related, but I didn't realize that there was nudity on Twitter and I didn't have my age in there. Um, and then I had to upload a, a, my license to prove somebody like started a fake account. I had to upload my license to prove that I was me or whatever. So then as soon as my age came on, I didn't realize that Twitter was blocking oh things gosh. from me seeing them because they didn't know that I was over 18 or whatever. So then I log in and what's I log in a and whole new world opened my up. Whole <laughs> Just, oh my whole timeline is like pornography. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And like hardcore pornography. And of course, once you start, it's a hole. You're in it. You know what I mean? No pun intended. So you're just like that's, going. That's <laughs> and then I was here there and I was like, how did I not know? And then I realized it was my age. And I, I don't know when I started following everybody. Like I'm, I'm totally happy to support um, people in the sex industry, obviously. But I just don't know how I followed without realizing. And I realized it's all these people that I'm in the same political groups with. And I was only seeing their political tweets. And really there was like all this like hardcore 
effing going huh. on. And I was like, oh my God, Twitter is so much more fun than I realized. Um, and But it was so funny because I just opened up my app one day and it was like a completely different timeline. And I'm following a very specific kind of porn and I didn't realize it. And I was like, what did I? But it's a delight. Let me just say it's I love- a delight. I love that you like might have just been in like a like, you know, we love Han Solo and Hillary Clinton and like and then you're like, wait, you're also in porn like you're just that's in a really group. what it was. It was my main <laughs> like my main naivete. And ironically, Benari, that's exactly what it was. It was a Star Wars group <laughs> and a Hillary Clinton group. You nailed it. And that's I mean you really did. That's I mean, exactly we probably follow some of the same people, so I think I know what you're looking at. And they are talented. I literally was like, Did you guys know this was on here? I'm like showing my they're like, everybody knew it was on here, Leah. How old are you? So wait, Star Wars folks are Clinton folks, they're not Bernie folks. Um, well, the Star Wars people I was following were Hillary Clinton people. I'm sure. I think I, it. De- I think it depends uh, whether you're OG trilogy, whether you're prequel people. You might be the the new uh, the sequel sequels. Uh, Mandalorian. I think everyone has like their own subcategory. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty large galaxy <laughs> to explore. And there <laughs> is something for, there's something for everyone. In Star Wars. Oh my yeah. goodness. Uh, so yeah, so I think that that's, but that's, it's, it's an interesting thing where money find, I think people also were very vocal about it, surprisingly. Like no, there were so many people who just came out in support when, when, when this was announced by OnlyFans of, you know, in ways like people, I think griped about it when Tumblr was going to do it, but no one really wanted to say that's what they were on Tumblr for, but yeah. all, but all the other you know, barriers were sort of removed with like, why do you think we have OnlyFans? That's literally what it's for. <laughs> why would you do this? And people are like, and I'm making my living. Comfort level. Yeah, but I think there was a comfort level with people openly talking about the on- their, their OnlyFans accounts or following OnlyFans yeah. accounts. But it's and because so that was you interesting. It's because you couldn't talk your way around it. Like when Tumblr went right. away, people were walking around being like, "Oh, huh, yeah. why did Tumblr go away? That's funny. Yeah. I was everyone was on Tumblr and everyone was not. It's like, well, they got rid of pornography and like eighty percent of their business yeah. went disappeared overnight. Like, I mean, right. you know, and it's like so much of and so you th- this one you can't you can't talk your way around it. You can't explain it away. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, again, uh, glad we saw that. Uh, final final thoughts on the thing. So I think you know. Money drives it, but also maybe we have maybe we can have a more adult conversation now about the ways in which uh, we allow people to make money. And maybe because the banks see that this is lucrative, maybe like people in other types of jobs, maybe we'll start getting loans. Maybe there's a safer way to start, uh, <laughs> you know, to, for, for these communities to make money in a safer uh, and more supportive community. I mean, hopefully that opens the doors there too. I like that flip side of cynicism where like, well, if it is about money, maybe the banks will realize, oh, we should just invest in this and then allow people to have this, as you're saying, safe, supported. I got to get a loan. You know, I'm going to run my own business. I got to have my own protections. You know what I mean? Which would be fantastic because it's ridiculous how we demonize the sex industry in this country. Well, if a sex worker can go to a bank as opposed to a loan shark. Exactly. Or or have to do like that. That's good for the banks. It's good for the workers. It's, you know... Now you're investing in the economy. You're a small business owner. I mean, it's great. Everybody wins. Yeah. Everybody wins. I want to uh, support fantastic. all skill sets. You know what I mean? It's a big galaxy. It's a big galaxy. Room, room for everyone. All right. Fantastic. Well, that does it for uh, this episode. How do you guys feel? I feel quite good. I think we <laughs> solved three of the world's pressing crises. 
Thank goodness. Thank goodness. We just knocked those out. Fantastic. Well, Jody, where, where can our listeners find you? Uh, people can find my show at thisdaypod.com. It's from the Radiotopia Network. Um, and we come out, do three short episodes a week talking about interesting moments in political history. So thisdaypod.com. Fantastic. And uh, Leah, where, where, where can people find you? You can follow me on all the socials at Leah Bonima, L-E-A-H-B as in Bravo, O. And N-E-M-A. And then on my Instagram, all my links are there. Fantastic. Um, I uh, I can be found on uh, all the socials at Benari Lee, B-E-N-A-R-I-L-E-E. Uh, Instagram, Twitter. Don't have an OnlyFans yet, but now with this uh, breaking news, that, that might change. So, so my we'll, see, we'll see if that's a moneymaker for me. My OnlyFans <laughs> would literally just be me talking about Lord of the Rings. So people would be like, we have no interest in you. <laughs> you could have done that on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of places you can stick a ring, though, is all I'm saying. Uh, fantastic show. So happy to have you guys on here. Uh, I've been your guest host, Ben Ari Poulton. A big thank you to Nagin. Uh, I'd like to thank our producer, Julia Linden, sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and all the wonderful people at HeadGum. Theme music was written by Gobby Alter. Uh, and thank you to you, all our listeners out there. That was a HeadGum Podcast.